Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam, along with Nick and Keith. Uh, the Leafs are back from the All-Star break and the bye, and so are we. Keith is back in New Brunswick after last week he told us he was going to L.A. to play a show. Uh, he, he did not mention that after that show he was going directly to New York City to play another show the following night. So my first question is, Keith, why are you so cool? Uh, I am riding the coattails of my cool friends, is that's the answer <laughs> to that question. Um, yeah, it was cool. I got to, I got to, uh, so I've got friends that live in Toronto. You guys are, you know, familiar with Ryan and Natalie as well. Uh, Loviet, yeah. we, we've, we've played yeah. Loviet on the show back when we used to do that. Yeah, the artist's name is Loviet, um, L-O-V-I-E-T. Look them, look them up wherever you find music. But, um, yeah, so I've, I've known them for a long time and they're based in Toronto now and kind of whenever they leave Toronto to play, elsewhere that involves traveling um they'll usually kind of ask if i want to tag along and play bass so um this time it's it wasn't like lobster fest in picto county it was <laughs> it was uh, fucking hollywood in new york city so uh it was super fun um so you know super thankful that i got to do that and it was it was a blast it was a whirlwind and it was not something it was not to bore with details but it was kind of like a showcasey type thing it wasn't like a true just tour or, or, you know, booking shows, it kind of was a part of this event and it was back to back nights and we were the only act that did both nights. And it was the opposite way that you would expect with time zones. Like we went from LA to New York and lost four hours. It would have been a lot better if New York was the first night, but uh, (laughs) it was a bit of a whirlwind kind of jet lagged by the end of it but it was super fun i was following along on social media and uh the day after the la show i was like oh they're they're at some kind of a new york city themed bar in la that's (laughs) that's cool i guess (laughs) no it was pretty cool though yeah it's so cool for like i met natalie uh, years ago when she was like 18 or 19 years old coming into a, a classroom full of grown men for the most part and i've told this story before but she came in and just kind of like owned the room right away just like her presence and talent and everything like that and it shines through on the stage it's just so cool to see how far she's come and like getting rewarded for all that hard work that she's put in over the years and yeah it's really cool that you get to be along for that ride yeah and they're they're in a festival in sweden right now which i had to turn down um i cannot i mean gotta can't make a job and a job and a family (laughs) they're in sweden Sweden and then uk for two weeks on a tour over there so yeah they're doing it man they're doing it for real and they're a fucking awesome band so check them out yeah it's cool so next time next time for sweden keith (laughs) yeah um so the leafs came back with a couple of games uh back to back home and home with the columbus blue jackets who are atrocious uh that first game was Ugly stuff. Leafs won it in a shutout. Uh, looked like it was going to be more of the same on Saturday night at home, and and then things turned. And uh, Sheldon Keefe was not happy with the effort in that one, Nick. Yeah, well, it was kind of like a, a tale of, of two games, or almost a tale of two Leafs teams this weekend. After the first period of Saturday night's game, you know, after just watching them completely decimate the Blue Jackets on Friday night. After the first period on Saturday night, we're talking about how it looked like no contest again. And, you know, for a team that's been, you know, touted as such a strong second period team, that second period on Saturday night was maybe their worst period of the entire season. They just, they they didn't have their feet moving. Sheldon Keefe was 100% right to call out the, the, 
the team's effort and just their, their willingness to fight for their space and win those puck battles and things like that. There's just It looked like Columbus wanted it more on Saturday night, and it just goes to show that in this league, the, the worst team can beat one of the best teams in the league on any given night. You, you, you can't take a night off in this league. And I, I thought it was kind of disappointing that you know, Joseph Wall got in there for his first start of the season. He's really been feeling it with the Marlies uh, this year. And, you know, again, in that first period, it looked like they were playing for their young netminder who was, who was making his season debut. And then they kind of hung him out to dry for the rest of the night. And, you know, I, I think he'd probably like that third goal against back, the one that he struggled to, to get his glove on in the crease when he, he thought he had it covered and ended up getting banged into the cage behind him. But for, for the most part, I thought he played really well and m- maybe a couple of, a bad bounces, but I just would have liked to see them kind of show up for him a little more uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, you can't you can't give up forty shots to the worst team in the league with the, no. with your rookie goalie making his. And I don't know if you consider a rookie, but you get you know a young goalie making his first first start of the year. You know, in the NHL, you, you can't do that. Twenty one shots in one period they had, like yeah, just a yeah. But like you said, it it really kind of goes to show that you can't take your foot off the gas and you what's frustrating is you would have hoped that this team has learned that you know lesson they're not young anymore but it happens it happens to every team in the league like it, yeah. you know i had this argument with people before like i can go back and find you know colorado losing to arizona last year like it it, it happens yeah it, it seems like it disproportionately affects the leaf but uh, like we've said this before too it's just that's the team that we follow and that we pay attention to so, yeah. yeah so those things are obviously going to stand out when they happen and yeah it, it has been a bit of a theme over the last couple of years but as you said it's, it's not just the leafs that lay the occasional egg against a, an inferior opponent but still it, those, those are points that you really like them to have right now tampa's kind of nipping at their heels i, I think you know Boston's probably out of reach in terms of uh, winning the division, but right now you've still got to have your eyes on home ice advantage against Tampa Bay in that first round. And yeah, all, all these points count, and to to cough up two against the the worst team in the league, it's it's kind of tough to swallow. Yeah, especially in this stretch, right? Like not just Columbus. Yeah. Like boy, do these teams stink that they've got. It's uh, Chicago on Wednesday, the Habs on Saturday. You've lost two to the Habs already this year. Uh, Chicago again on Sunday. So I mean, like you got to bank some points here. Boston lost on Saturday for Christ's sake, and you couldn't yeah. even cap off the, <laughs> the Blue Jackets. So that's it. It's you can't be leaving those points on the table. So Kyle Dubas spoke to the media on Thursday, and there wasn't a, a whole lot really that came out of that. Uh, a little bit of injury news. Um, you know, one, one of the more significant things was something we didn't get, which was an update on Jake Muzzin. We we're still a few weeks away from that, I suppose, but I, I think we're all expecting that we won't see him again. Uh, Matt Murray um, was placed on IR, and and you know we're. we're not really sure what's going on there. He's kind of been a a bit of a, a mystery with with the injuries over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, the reliability has, has been a bit of a problem there. So, um, so I, I guess aside from you know the injury stuff, one of the most newsworthy things uh, comments was. You know, he spoke a little bit about the trade deadline and, and you know, what assets he'd move and not move. And, and he was specifically asked about Matthew Nyes and, and kind of said more generally that, you know, they don't want to move their top assets for rentals. Um, and, and, you know, of course, like he's, he's going to say that that's that's the right position to take. 
but it's it's all very hypothetical, right? So before we get into some trade target stuff, let's let's loop back on, on these injuries because it's it's going to have you know some kind of an effect. I, I don't think that we're going to see a, a goalie targeted. You know, I think that they'll probably handle that in house, unless you know they they know for sure that Murray's going to be out of out of commission for the year or something like that. And I don't think we're getting any indication that's going to be the case. Um, but you know, certainly the the Jake Muzzin situation is going to affect um, you know what the Leafs will be able to do uh, with the trade deadline coming up um nick any thoughts on on you know what what dubas had to say on on thursday or or anything um you know related to to those injuries going forward i think the thing that kind of stood out to me was i think we were all expecting that muzzin update to come when dubas spoke to the media and you know he alluded to the fact that muzzin has another appointment coming up in a couple of weeks and they should have more clarity at that point um given the the salary restraints that the Leafs are operating under, unless they know something that they aren't sharing with the media or with the with the public, which is very possible, but just taking them at face value and what they had to say about Muzzin and you know still being uncertain of his status moving forward, their hands are kind of tied until they have some sort of resolution there, right? Like they can't go spending his five and a half million uh, in LTIR space if you know, he's due to return to the ice in, uh, in a month or, or something of that nature. So I, I think that was maybe the, the thing that kind of stood out to me the most. Like you said, there's not really a whole lot to take. Dubas isn't going to you know, elaborate on trade discussions that he's having with opposing teams or even he's not going to name targets and get fined for tampering, uh, Jim Benning style, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the biggest thing was that they're still kind of, at least from what we know, uh, in the public or as a fan base, there's still a bit of uncertainty surrounding just what kind of flexibility they're going to have to add to this roster at the deadline. Yeah. You're, you're kind of right in the sense that I don't think we would expect to hear anything other than what we heard when it comes to, their approach to the deadline. Uh, I mean, I saw a lot of people kind of being a little freaked out from that just based off of him saying he wasn't going to trade. They weren't going to trade their first, so they weren't going to trade knives. And there was a lot of like, well, you know, you got to, nobody's untouchable. And the thing is like, he never said he wasn't going to trade his first or knives or any prospects period. It was just the idea of emptying the cupboards on a rental was not, you know, and we've seen that from him. It's he's kind of tar- targeted guys that you know he's been able to keep his hands on, like Campbell and Muzzin in the past, right? Like, so the, I think, and arguably, his worst deadline move. You know, you can argue the merits of it at the time, but Felino, you know, I don't think he wants to go down that road again of you know trading a first round pick only for the guy to play a handful of games and be hurt so i wasn't shocked at what he said there's plenty of targets out there i think we're going to get into that carry some term or some you know at least some kind of control at the end of the season Um, and then some targets that make a lot of sense that might not cost you those top top assets so let's talk about a few of those um one guy that i wanted to, to bring up just as a name in terms of someone that i could probably talk myself into moving one or two of those top top assets for and i don't know why the philadelphia flyers might do this but there, there has been some buzz around travis konechny a little bit uh, you know i i would assume that ultimately he's not going to move but um he would just add every element you're looking for up front yeah i mean except for maybe the size but 
I think we all know he plays a little bit bigger than, you know, than his actual height, but it, it really doesn't make any sense to me because Philly's not a team. Like, I don't think they're looking at this season and saying, we got to blow it up and connect knees, you know, 26 or whatever he is right now. And by the time we get good and go scorched earth, scorched earth and fucking, you know, in three or four years, he's going to be in his thirties and he won't be worth it. Let's get something for him now. I think they think that if they had Couture and Alice, they'd be in a playoff team and, right or wrong you know that wrong. that seems to be the direction of the organization right like they don't seem to be somebody that's willing to blow it up so it doesn't make a ton of sense and he's such a flyer like through and through that i i don't get why there would be interest in him unless you were paying out your fucking ass for him and i don't know if i'd want to do that either so i like for what I would want to pay for him, I don't think he's available. I think that he would command a massive, massive return. Yeah, I mean, everyone's talking about Timo Meyer being kind of the bell of the ball here at this trade deadline and just how much it's going to cost for a team to maybe wrangle him out of San Jose. I think if a guy like Konechny ends up being on the move, given you know his production, the pedigree of you know what he's done in his career up to this point, and the fact that he signed at a good number for a couple of more seasons, you'd have to think that whatever acquisition cost is going to be paid for Timo Meyer, whatever someone's going to pay for Travis Konechny is going to rival that or, or maybe even surpass it. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Keith. I don't necessarily see the the motivation uh, from Philadelphia's point of view uh, to move him, you know, but as you said before, everyone's got a price. Uh, if, if there's a team that comes calling, uh, offering the world, maybe he is available. But I, I'm kind of the same thought of, as you for what I'd be willing to pay. I can't imagine Philadelphia being willing to move off. Yeah. And, and for all the names that have been mentioned in this deadline season, I think Meyer and Konechny are the two that I would quickly – I don't even know if quickly is the right word, but – they would be the two that I would get over losing knives for, I, I think. Yeah, it would definitely be a lot easier to – well, just going back to what Dubas is talking about, if they're going to move a premium asset like that, it has to be for a player who, who you have locked down for a little while, not just a, a couple of months and hope that he doesn't get hurt like Felino did. Uh, it, it's, it's, it would have to be – um, a massive deal, I think, in order for the Leafs to be able to justify moving off Matthew Nyes. So let's talk about a guy who who has been, you know, a little more connected to the Leafs. Seems a little bit more likely, possibly, to move. Although he's another guy with terms, so so maybe maybe that won't be the case uh, if the Chicago Blackhawks decide to hang on to Jake McCabe. Who, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm really interested to see. Like, it, it's so hard to get a read on, on guys who have been on just piss poor teams like Chicago and Arizona, right? Like I know that McCabe's had some really, really good results. I don't know if it's been quite as good, you know, this season or maybe even the last couple seasons, but um, you know, he, he's, he's signed for 4 million. Is it another three years after this one? Two years after this one, I believe. Two years after this one. So, um, I mean, this is a guy who would kind of provide a bit of that sandpaper. Like, he's, he's been a really solid top four guy in the past. Um, he can kind of snap it around a bit, too, right? He's not just a, a strictly a butcher back there. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not like you're bringing in a Luke Shen light or something like that. You know, he, he's he's got a bit of talent. Um, so... That's that's certainly a, an intriguing option um, on the blue line, Keith. I, I know that he's a guy you've been uh, quite intrigued by. Yeah, I think 
the control aspect, you know, is obviously huge. And the fact that they seem willing to retain, I don't buy that, you know, he's, I think if, if they're retaining, I think a first round pick makes a lot of sense. And I mean, if you look at what has gone at the deadline in the past, you know, with like Savard and Sherratt, you know, these guys all went for first round picks. I, I don't know if we're at the point now are we like our GM starting to kind of smarten up on that because it doesn't really, you know, I don't think anybody would, would say that the Sherratt deal made a lot of sense. And I mean, I think that McCabe's probably, like you said, Nick, he's got a little bit more to offer than, than what a Ben Sherratt gives you. But I think if they're retaining him and you look at the fact that you now have Jake McCabe for three playoff runs at $2 million, that's attractive and that, I think is something that you could explore moving the first round pick and it just can't be the only move, right? That it would have to be in conjunction with something. Yeah. Because at that point you're going, well, where does Rasmus Sandin fit into this team anymore? And I think, you know, I'm still like jury out on Sandin for me. Like I'm, I don't pretend to be somebody that can project players very well and, you know, look at the intricacies of their game and and look forward. I just know he's 22 and doesn't have a ton of experience and he is likely to get better. I know he's got some warts in his game right now. So I look at it more of like a timeline thing where this team wants to win right now. Is there a way that they could upgrade him, you know, on the back end, feel a little bit more comfortable with the size of a McCabe versus a Sandine over a playoff series and then use Sandine as a piece to upgrade the, the, the top six and, and, you know, get that impact forward that might be of a similar kind of, you know, point in his career as a Sandine. It's not the same caliber of players, but the framework of that kind of Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson type of deal where it's more of the quote unquote hockey trade where you're moving kind of shuffling deck chairs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Find a 22, 23 year old forward. That's got some control that you could move Sandine for. And maybe you add to it a little bit if it's somebody that's above, you know, the, the, the value of, of a Sandine. But I think that makes a lot of sense to me if that's how you're moving him, because if you're trading your first for McCabe, you know, your assets are a little bit lower on what you have available to trade. So that, and it, but it makes Sandine available. So I would be fine with that. You know, trading a first for Jake McCabe, looking at that in a vacuum isn't super exciting. But if you look at it as like what, what came in and what went out, I think that, you know, there's some room to, to kind of build on that and make it a, a, a multi kind of layered thing. But I, I don't know who that forward is, right? Like who, who are they able to grab for a Sandy? Yeah. And of course, without knowing that it's difficult to kind of put all these pieces together and say exactly what the right move for them to make is on the back end. But I, I know there's been a lot of pushback in, in the fan base that the Leafs don't necessarily need to add a defenseman. And you know, people are citing their improved defensive play this season, which is completely fair. They've been a, a a vastly improved defensive team from top to bottom all season long. But that doesn't mean they can't be better. And when you really get down to it, the teams that they're going to need to handle and be able to defend against and move the puck out against, we're not talking about doing it against Columbus seven times in round one. We're talking about Tampa Bay and then hopefully Boston and beyond, right? So if those are the teams that you're looking to compete with, I think we've seen how the the current makeup of our blue line has struggled at times against the, those teams that are able to kind of deploy that heavy, consistent forecheck that just wears on our defensemen. And, and I think Rasmus Sandin in particular has, has really struggled in those types of games. He just, 
I, I don't want to sound like I'm crapping all over Sandine because I, I do think he's a, a fine player and I do still think there is room for him to grow. I, I'm just, when you have that combination of his size and complete lack of foot speed, it, it's not a great combination, especially when one of the biggest problems that this team has faced is being able to handle those, you know, relentless heavy forechecks that prevent the team from moving the puck out of their own end cleanly. And, and it, it's, it's been a common theme in the Leafs' losses this year, and I think it showed up again on Saturday night against Columbus, is just that inability to, to clear the puck when they're presented with a, an opportunity to do so. And again, I think, you know, in terms of guys on the back end, Sandine has probably struggled in that regard as much as anybody has this year. And I think it's definitely something that they've got to explore if they are able to kind of get that defenseman in, in the mold of a Jake McCabe, who they think is a better stylistic fit for what they need right now to kind of round out that defensive core, you've, you, you'd be silly not to explore Sandine's value on the open market in terms of improving your forward group. Now, I, I know that the kind of counter to that from that camp that you're talking about that doesn't think they need defensemen is that last year against Tampa, they didn't really get overwhelmed right like the, i don't like they weren't uh, they weren't run out of the building physically but they had they had jake muzzin so Th- yes that, that's, that's the a, thing that that's the part that's different right is like i i agree with the concept of it even with muzzin i think that there still were numerous occasions in that tampa bay series where you, you saw that fourth line with pat maroon coming out yeah. and Corey perry coming out there where they just they were able to hem us in consistently and it was it, it, it caused problems for the Leafs throughout the series, I thought. It, it, and it, it maybe wasn't so glaring as it has been at other times, but you, that's got to be in the back of Kyle Dubas's mind when he's projecting forward and looking at what this team's going to be able to do in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think there, there's, there could be some room to add some, some kind of heaviness to the, the forward group to help out with that as well. It's kind of a shitty thing because like Rasmus Sandin is that grit on our blue line. It, he's just... He, he loves to throw, throw his body around. He just doesn't have a big yeah, one. <laughs> his, his body betrays him. It doesn't really give him the best tools to play the style of game that he wants to play. And I know we keep talking about his size, and I, there's probably some people listening who are scoffing at that because of how physical Sandin is for his size. But the fact remains that he just can't withstand those bigger, heavier forechecking forwards that these teams are able to deploy. And at least not right now. And maybe he yeah. can when he's 26 or 27, but that's not the timeline of this team. And that, that's yeah. that's where I'm okay with moving him. Well, you want to talk about you know getting on the timeline. Um, it, it might not even be worth talking about this guy because he might be with the Los Angeles Kings by the time we finish editing this podcast. But uh, Jacob Chikorin, it sounds like he's getting closer to a move out of Arizona. Finally, we, this is a guy we talked about you know plenty last year, and and he seemed like he was never going to finally get uh, get shipped out, and uh, that day may be coming soon. Um, it was reported that the Leafs were were kind of in there in talks but not necessarily right at the front of the pack and and again it sounds like the kings are the front runners um but it, you know talking about you know moving sandine out and you know talking about uh moving out big assets and w- what kind of a return would be worth those assets um you know this is a guy who kind of checks all those boxes yeah. and would you know fit the timeline a little bit better I, nick do you, do you think that there's any hope of this one still getting done i mean never say never um but it, it seems like th- there's this the the constant uh 
pushback from the insiders is that the Leafs have pivoted off of looking for a defenseman. I, I guess it depends what day you're scrolling the, <laughs> the timeline on Twitter because, you know, last week they're looking to upgrade on the blue line. Now they're not in on Shikrin because they're focused on adding a forward. So it's <laughs> it's difficult to kind of make heads or tails of of what's actually happening behind the scenes. But I mean, by all reports, the the Leafs are in it, and they they have the assets to get a deal done. I don't see why that they shouldn't you know explore this to its fullest. Just speaking for myself, if hypothetically the the main piece in a Jacob Shikran trade is Rasmus Sandin, I'm making that without hesitation. Like. Am I wrong to think that? I know Sandine is kind of more cost controlled. He's he's cheaper, still provides a lot of value. Like, what is the cost benefit here of of turning him into Shikrin? But I just think, like you said, Cam, he he checks all those boxes and would almost instantly become perhaps the the number one defenseman on this team. Yeah, I, I think you if that's if he if it, if you're talking like Sandine a first and then like you know someone of the ilk of like a. I don't know, like the the layer of prospect below Nyes, I, I I don't think you think twice about that. I think you do that because yeah, Sandin's cost control, but so is Chikrin. Like he's still got two more years. The same same as McCaffrey. Yeah, like yeah. you have three three playoff runs of them, um, you know, and he's not making very much money. So yeah, no, you you do that in a heartbeat. I I don't think that's enough. Like if you look at some of the reported asks now, again, grain of salt with that, but they're talking like two firsts plus plus prospects and players like if that's i i can't see that being what it is and if then if you start to get into a prospect shootout with the la kings you're not winning that so yeah that's that's the part where i think nice has to be in the deal i don't think it, i don't think it gets done without nice and it's almost like too perfect of a fit, right? Like exactly. You've got Nyes, the Arizona And the boy, Arizona connection, 100%. Playing on a top line at Minnesota with Logan Cooley, who the Coyotes just drafted third overall last summer. You can, you can imagine how much they would desire Nyes being in that deal. Oh, if I'm the Coyotes... It's, it's not getting done without I'm Nyes, saying yeah. don't call me unless Nyes is in the deal. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's the table stakes. Oh, yeah. If, if, you know, if you're weighing two options and, and you, know, you got Nyes in one hand and, and Brant Clark in the other, you, you, you're not talking about anything less than Nyes. That, that's yeah. for sure. And, and maybe, you know, maybe because of those circumstances, you know, like you said, being from Arizona, like maybe he is the guy that they covet most and, and that's ultimately like it, Dubas knows that he has that in his back pocket as, as you know, he can get this done. Yeah, that could be yeah. what gets it done. But yeah, how do we feel about that? You know, if if it turns out that Nyes is the primary piece in a Shikran deal, I'd get over it pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I would. I would probably be all right with it. Like again, this falls under the category of like young um, player under contract has um, you know and and makes an impact, an impact player. You know, impact this is not player. a guy who's going to be now, massive cap. The ones the injuries though. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's the one big concern for me with Shikran is just how much time he's missed in, you know, only a couple of years into his NHL career now. Um, when, when he's out there, I don't think you can argue that he's a, a bona fide impact player in the NHL. Just the injuries have, you know, cost him a lot of time and maybe diminished his value a, a little bit. But in terms of trading knives for him, I. Maybe I'm just a little too attached to the idea of inserting that big power forward into this lineup, you know, even if it's a, a couple of years before he's really 
contributing and making an impact on this team. It's just such a unique asset around the league that I, I, I think you know, if you are going to move on from him, it's got to be for, for a piece like Shikrin. But even then, I, I'd, I'd still be losing a little bit of sleep over it. Yeah, you know what's crazy? Chikrin, this is Chikrin's seventh season, and he hasn't played more than 68 games. So, yeah, that's tough. Like, that's a bit scary. Um, and it's not like, you know, it's like reconstructed. Is it? Is I think he had both of his knees and a shoulder or something. Like, it's – or maybe it's both Wrist. wrists and a shoulder. Like, I – yeah, it's scary. I, I will say, if it, if it's not the Leafs, I'll be quite okay with him going to Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, stay stay way the hell away. <laughs> Anything but Boston, and even I don't even want Edmonton getting him. So you know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, LA is probably the only one that that I'm okay with. One guy that I just wanted to mention quickly, not you know, certainly a name on the level of the guys we've talked about so far, but uh, just a name that I thought you know maybe the Leafs could be in the mix based on the circumstances is uh, Gustav Nyquist with Columbus who is out for the rest of the season he's injured um which you know is always a situation where the Leafs could pounce in or another team could pounce in and and try to get some cap relief by picking him up putting him on LTIR uh for the rest of the regular season and then you know at the very least you get the cap space and then you know maybe he can contribute in the playoffs but but the main thing would be the cap space I, I don't know exactly how all that would work with the Leafs but um could be could be something that we see happen yeah can you imagine the takes on Twitter if Dubas goes and trades for another injured Blue Jackets forward <laughs> Yeah, at least where's David Clarkson's gonna... contract these days? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that that'll be um, interesting to see if the Leafs. That's always what you know. I, I kind of keep in mind going into the deadline or into the off season is that like it's always going to be something you don't see coming. You know, there's going to yeah. be some kind of a. a, a a move like a curveball that the Leafs can can throw, and that's why I don't. You know, we spent a whole pile of time talking about Timo Meyer, and you know, a lot of the the top free agents who are going to. Ha- you know, it's the big question: How, how are you going to fit them under the cap? Well, I trust them to figure it out. That's why I don't fret too much about it when I, what we're talking about on the podcast. It's like oh, I I trust the Leafs to to sort something out on the, the salary front. So I'm going to continue to talk about Timo Meyer. <laughs> Like he's a reasonable possibility. There's so many, um, there's so many avenues that they could go down. Right. And and that's like, that's the part where I'm like, I, I just have no idea. Like we've talked about, they've talked Ryan O'Reilly interest and it could be McCabe and it could be Lafferty. It could be Barbashev. It could be all these different guys that are obvious, but it, I still feel like it's going to be something that we have absolutely no read on whatsoever. Just kind of out of left field. That's that's what I've kind of thought all along. Especially if Dubas is, in fact, kind of big game hunting for players with term left on their deals or at least some form of team control. It, maybe it's not such an obvious name uh, as the ones that are all over the trade bait boards as pending UFAs and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's going to be interesting because, like, Nick, I know you wrote recently for the Leafs Nation about, um, you know, some of the assets that, that Dubas has moved out. Um, specifically, you know, the draft picks and you know, it sounded like you were pretty pro kind of emptying the cupboard if, if the deals are there. Um, and- well, I mean, you go back and read that piece that I wrote about kind of tracking down the, the picks that they've traded at the deadline over the years. There really isn't a whole lot of consequence or isn't a whole lot that has turned into anything of consequence at this point. You know, Sean Dersey, uh, who went in the Muzzin deal, has turned out to be maybe the most valuable piece they've given up in one of those deadline deals over the last few years. So I, I think if it comes down to it and the decision is 
you know, hypothetically, uh, their first round pick and Matthew Nyes have uh, comparable value to the team that they're dealing with. I think it's a no brainer to move on from the pick rather than the, the prospect already in the system and already, you know, partway through developing and a little bit closer to the NHL. You, you kind of it's a little easier to to forecast what you have in a guy who who you've already been watching develop for a couple of years than, you know, not even knowing what player you're going to end up with with that pick. So. I'm all for if that's what it takes to to really get an impact deal over the top. Uh, I have no attachment to the draft picks at all this year. And that's the key, right? Like it's it will be an impact deal because like I was looking over the last few years of deadline deals and like you know, you look at what's been moved out and obviously like a lot of people are, are hesitant to move uh, to part with with the top top stuff and like that's that's completely uh, rational and justified because it, it doesn't happen like like the the top things at the very top of team systems just don't tend to get you know churned out at the deadline for um and, and i mean you know granted a lot of the time it is for rentals but like you look at like taylor hall went for anders bjork and a second right like last year um you know the biggest asset fetched Owen Tippett as kind of the the big piece right and like again these are rentals but like you look at like the Brandon Hagel deal two first round picks yes but like Boris Ketchuk and Taylor Radish and you know those are not top prospects by any means right so like in all and likelihood they weren't top draft picks either right like th- those are Tampa Bay draft picks they're not in top 15 or top 10 by any means again guys who you know like the Leafs you you kind of got a little late you, you you developed them up and then maybe you moved them out at 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 their peak, which is, you know, kind of the the opposite to what you were saying, Nick, about maybe maybe it is better to maybe move some of the, the pieces rather than the picks, but it all depends on the player ultimately. But like in all likelihood, what you're going to see is, you know, some picks probably move, maybe some young AHL guys like Abrazizi or Abramov or, or, you know, someone like that. But like Nyes is probably going nowhere. Even like guys at the level of like Ty Voigt, Fraser Minton, probably not going to move. And if they do, it's because someone like Timo Meyer or someone under control, someone of impact is coming back the other way, right? Yeah. And I mean, just to kind of quibble with you for a second there, I don't think I would include Ty Voigt in that tier. I think he he's kind of in the mold of like a, a junior scorer. I don't necessarily foresee him being a big time producer at the pro level if he ever does break through. So that's the kind of player that you know, it, when you're making deals like this, a lot of time it's about kind of assessing the timeline and, and the overall upside of these players and cashing out at the right time or, you know, standing pat at the right time. And I think that kind of gets back to just my, my thoughts on Sandine again is, you know, it, at some point you get to the point where people no longer view him as a young player with room to grow or with further upside, right? So it's, it's a delicate balance uh, of identifying those players in your system and trying to figure out how close they are to their ultimate ceilings or or how much room they have left to grow and whether it, it's best to cash them out in a deal like that. Wanted to to talk quickly about uh, one or two more names here and and I, I don't know if either of you are, are going to want to uh, voice support for this after after I'm done with uh, with this, but. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, Kyle Dubas, like he, he's, he's stuck by his vision since day one, right? Like it's, you know, on, on any issue, Nylander, draft strategy, play style, 
Sheldon Keefe, like you name it, like he he has his principles, he has his guys, uh, he believes in them, he sticks to them, and one of those principles has been, you know, an expectation of a certain level of conduct, and that he wants, you know, the players who make up his team to be good people. And if he decides that Patrick Kane is the missing <laughs> piece of the puzzle at this trade deadline. As far as I'm concerned, it would represent a greater abandonment of his principles than, you know, anything he could do by trading Nylander in the summer or something like that. Like that, like that would be so disappointing to me. And I, I, I want nothing to do with Patrick Kane. And to a lesser extent, Jonathan Taves, who's maybe not as big of a piece of shit, but, uh, you know, was the captain throughout this uh, this Kyle Beach situation that, you know, we, we've kind of seen how how badly the the Blackhawks dressing room handled that um and you know he, he was the leader of those guys and so like I, I I'm totally the, the shine is completely off those those Blackhawks guys for me if it's you know if it's going to be a deal with the Hawks give me the McCabe deal but <laughs> keep me away from those two now what about you're what about, not wrong <laughs> what about Max Domi <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> At least, like, you could have the redeeming qualities from Kane and Taves that there's a chance they might still be good at hockey. Max Domi, I don't know what redeeming quality there is there at this point. Um, yeah, no, it, it's hard to argue with anything you said there, Cameron. You just got to wonder what the what the eventual acquisition cost is going to be on guys like Kane and Taves. Who You've got to figure... The Blackhawks organization, you know, is going to try to do right by them in the sense of they're not just going to send them anywhere. Not that they can, you know, that they need approval from those guys to complete any trade. But I think that they're definitely going to be working with those guys to to find desired locations if they do indeed decide they want to move on. So that could really bring down the the acquisition costs for for those players. So. You know, if you're if you're eliminating all pieces of shit from uh, contention for your NHL roster, you might find yourself in a tough spot at some point for for manning uh, or for icing a, a, a twenty man lineup. Um, that said, I, I think everything that you brought up there in your uh, as you introduced this idea was more than fair and. Uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Dubas is on the same page as you with that. Yeah, no, 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 no notes. I, I it's just <laughs> not not anybody that's on my radar. And I saw, I think it was um, Anthony Petrelli from Maple Leaf Hot Stove who wrote about Taze being a, an attractive target because he feels that you could probably do the the geo thing with him, but I. Nah. <laughs> yeah, figure Taves would be happy to go to Winnipeg or something like that and take a long bus ride to get there. Yeah. <laughs> um a couple of other just minor news things to mention before we wrap up here. Uh Connor Timmons is back on a two year deal. Nice little one. piece of business there, right? Eh? Yeah. It, yeah. We haven't seen a ton of them of late, but obviously he, he you know, he burst onto the scene. He had a really nice kind of uh, intro to the Leafs and And what you know, did Dubas say when they acquired him? This wasn't just a, a move for right now. This was something with the you know, the future in mind. This wasn't just a stopgap measure. This is a player they think it can be a, a part of their roster moving forward and you know an important piece for them justin hall coming off the books this summer uh gonna be yeah. hard to you know replace his production at, at that uh you know dollar value and and like i, I mean, production might be the wrong word but the, his presence <laughs> i guess his minutes um and yeah like you know timmons 
and all kidding aside, Justin Hall deserves some credit, right? Like, oh, he's he, been he, good this year. He's been great. He's been um, rough been October. Very good after a really rough, rough October. October. Yeah, yeah he, he's been good, and and you know, on both sides of the puck, and, and you know, Timmons, I don't think has shown you that he, he can be the you know defensive or, or kind of physical presence that that Hall can be at times, but at the very least, when it comes to you know moving the puck, which Hall is probably a lot better at than people give him credit for. Um, you know, did you guys? Sorry to cut you off. Did, did you guys see the stat? Uh, for the most hits taken in the league. Justin Hall has taken like an absorbent amount of hits, like, or an absorbent amount of more (laughs) of hits than like the second. Are you saying, are you saying absorbent or exorbitant? I don't know. Which one is it? It's, It's the EX one, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But he is absorbing them. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's it is absorbent. Yeah, hits. it's it's both. It's both. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, what I was saying is like you're talking about Justin Hall's physicality there, and I, I don't think anyone would you know say that he's a an imposing physical presence in the sense that he's dishing out big hits left and right, but he's taken more hits than any player in the NHL by a wide margin this year. And all, almost all of that is on re- retrievals. Right. And you know, he's, he's actually done well this season to kind of play through that contact and still be able to move the puck up ice. Uh, I think that's a really under underrated quality for a guy like that's that. actually really interesting. Cause I think it was Cam Sharon who put out recently that, like he's he's exiting the zone better than anybody on the team. So if he's taking those hits, yeah. if you're looking at that across the like the run of a season, and he's got you know he's getting hit that much more than anybody everybody else, and leading the team in like zone exits, I think it was. I I, I, I might be wrong on that, but it was something along the lines. No, of, no, I, I yeah, I seen no, the same article. Right. You're right. So it's it's that's that's even more kind of remarkable and yeah i mean he's he was an he's easy guy to, hate to make on. the play right he was an easy guy to hate on and he just can't be you can't i think what we've learned is you just can't throw him with like a sandine or a, a timmins or something like i think you know he's got to have be with brody or geo or somebody like that um which is fine you're yeah. paying him two million you're not paying him six right like it's okay for a two million dollar defenseman to give you good production and need a bit of a crutch like that's fine yeah and he's taken like a lot of slings and arrows in his time here oh, yeah. but like just, just looking back at these last three years where he's been playing on a two million dollar ticket like it's it's really easy to look back at the Seattle expansion draft and say, man, I can't believe they kept Justin Hall and let Jared McCann walk. But the thinking at the time was it would be really difficult to replace what Justin Hall gives you for $2 million. And I think that's just, you know, been more apparent as time has gone on. Uh, he's he's given the Leafs great value on that contract. Yeah, he, he's produced way, way above what... Um what he's making and you hope that Timmons will, will be the next guy to do that. And the thing with Timmons though is was he what is he, how many games of NHL hockey has he played? I know he's not a, like young, like 18, 19 years old, but he might as well be for the yeah. amount of games that he's played. So I I'm intrigued by him and and I feel like, you know, the the kind of defensive side of his game that maybe isn't quite up to speed with his puck moving side of his game. You know he's played fifty nine games of pro of NHL hockey, so that could come like that that type of thing. You know the kind of seems to come with age, and he might settle down a little bit. Now hasn't for Morgan Riley particularly, <laughs> but um, you know I think 
I think there's there's a lot of lot of reason to be optimistic about that. And again, for the fact that you traded him for a AHL bottom six center, that's that's pretty that's a that's a nice bit of bit of business. Well, going back to that piece by Cam Sharon that you were referencing a minute ago, and for those of you listening who don't know, Cam Sharon worked in the Leafs front office for a number of years. Uh, he's writing for the Athletic now, sharing some of his insight and expertise. In that same article, he was talking about, you know, how strong Connor Timmons has been in that regard too, in terms of retrievals and, you know, denying entries and just quickly moving the puck out of his own end. And, you know, that's not typically how we think of defense, but that is strong defensive play when you break it all down. Like the the less time that you're spending in your own end, the, the less time that you're defending. And, you know, Connor Timmons hasn't been perfect by any means, but I think that he's definitely shown enough to be, to for fans to be excited about what he could potentially provide on a a one point one million dollar cap in the next two years, he's big and he's mobile, right? And and yeah, that's similar to Hall. Hall's I think Hall's mobility is taken for granted a little bit. What yeah, what I think Timmons has on Hall though is once the puck's on their sticks, I think you know Hall sometimes looks like he's stick handling a bomb. And, yeah. you know, he might be exiting the zone cleanly, but I don't know what he's doing with the puck once he gets out there. <laughs> Whereas I think Timmons, you know, his first pass might be a little bit stronger. But I also, th- yeah. I, I didn't really see it happen in his time yet with the Leafs, but I'm waiting for like a really bad where he tries to do too much and kind of gives it away. Because he made a few plays where you were like, oh, I maybe would have, you know, made the sim- more simple play there. Well, but- the, the one that sticks out was the uh, the Alex Galchenyuk-esque spinorama. Yeah, at that's the right. Point he did, he did to- have a pretty bad one. That's right. So, 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 he, yeah. He's had a couple. But, I mean, again, getting back to what you're saying, like in terms of NHL experience, this guy is still a young player. And you, you, you have to expect that there's going to be kinks for him to work out as he continues to get his feet wet you know, and reestablish himself as an NHL player. And I think, you know, early on what he's given the Leafs again, especially considering what the acquisition cost was, uh, it's, it's been a nothing short of a home run deal really. And just one other uh, kind of news note is that the Leafs recalled Alex Steves and Pontus Holmberg and Joseph Wall, and then sent them down after a couple <laughs> of games. So they're back down in the minors now and, uh, possibly we'll be back yeah i think they're probably just gonna get into uh, monday night's game with the marlies at least uh, joseph wall i expect to be back um unless you know there is always the possibility that they plan on uh, samsonov starting most of this next string of games and they'd prefer to have joseph wall continuing to get into game action with the marlies but i i suspect that you know all three of those players will probably be back on the active roster before wednesday's game and what have you guys thought of Steve's through his first couple of games? I, I know it's been limited minutes and on the fourth line, not exactly put in a, a prime offensive position, but I've kind of liked his game, uh, no, most notably in the offensive zone, the way he's kind of just managing to, to get open in good areas around the net. Yeah, I've liked him. I, I think that, you know, he's like you said, he's he's found some pockets. He's um, showed a little bit of, you know, offensive know-how. Uh, and like you said, very limited minutes. So it's it's hard to get a, a real good read. But I, I mean, like the Marlies are just so good at, at, at yeah. instilling that that 
style of play, right? Like everyone who comes up, you know, these guys, whether it's, yeah, McMahon, Holmberg, whoever, like they know how to play. They know how to, to make an impact in those minutes on the fourth line. They know they're not going to get a lot. So they, uh, you know, they give it their all. And, and, and Steve's, you know, has, has kind of come as, as advertised, right? And like you said, maybe, maybe a little bit more offensive pop potentially with him than some of the guys that we've seen. But um, yeah, I've liked him for sure. Yeah, and I I don't mean this in a in a bad way, a negative way whatsoever. But be, like with McMahon, Steve's, Joey Anderson, you know, lesser extent Holmberg. I think I kind of put him a little bit ahead of them, but they they kind of just all remind me of the same player. And I think that's what you just said about just the the kind of what what's instilled them down in the Marlies. I know there's there's subtleties and nuance to their games, but just in terms of like ten, tenacious on the forecheck, you know, pretty good on the boards. Um, smart plays, not doing anything, you know, not, not trying to, to, you know, make None things of them really more make complicated, a lot of mistakes, no right? mistakes. Like, and again, it's not very many minutes, but that's kind of good. Like, that's what you want from your call-ups. Like, you don't like, I, you don't expect them to come in and be impact players, but you don't want them to come up and like lose games for you either. And they're, they're not. You know, they're not doing anything other than just, you know, making nothing happen when they're on the ice. And that's that's completely fine for your, you know, depth call up players. Well, boys, uh, this has been a, a really good podcast, in my opinion, um, getting back in action. And, and we're nearing the end. So I, I believe that means I'm supposed to take a knee and run out the last two minutes in silence. And then we come back and we say, go Leafs. And then we end the pod. Is that is that what we're supposed to do now? Uh, what do you guys think of that Super Bowl? Uh, it was a hell of a game, right? Like fantastic game, great game. I just thought the the way that it ended was kind of like anticlimactic at best. Like that holding call, right? I mean, yeah, it's a hold. James Bradbury admitted as much in the post game that he held him. But like, do any of us really believe that that was the first hold of the entire game, or the first defensive hold of the entire game? And that's when they throw the flag. That that's just what, what kind of sat not so good with me not only that i'm pretty sure the ball landed like a good 15, 15 yards, yards yeah. past where the hold happened and it was like a split second later so like at what like i know pass interferences can be like overturned or not overturned but like not called because the ball was not catchable but i don't know what the rule is on holds when they're that close to the line i think it's still a hold but like that yeah. that made it even worse right because it's like i don't think in any way he was getting to that ball so and that changes the whole complexion of the game, right? Because yep. like, without that penalty, it's fourth down. They're pr- probably kicking a field goal, and there's, there's plenty of time left for Philadelphia to take a, another run at it going the other yeah, way. Well, so, there was what was there? There was like a minute and yeah, th- there forty was, minute and fifty, like in that range. And we've seen how much can happen in that amount of time oh, yeah. in a football game. You know, still have nightmares about that Bills oh, Chiefs game could, last they year. Could have scored, and Kansas City could have got it back and scored in that amount of time. Yeah, but it, but it's, not to say that it wasn't a penalty, but just at, in that moment, man, that's tough. You just don't make that call. You yeah. don't. You don't. You don't want the game decided like the super bowl does you don't want any game decided on a on a questionable penalty let alone the super bowl and it sounds kind of contradictory because you know how long have we been kind of lamenting the game game management that the nhl referees employ right like you you just you want the penalties called all the time all the time but there's got to be 
uh, an element of consistency throughout the game, right? And again, I just I, I find it really hard to believe that that was the first time all game that a defensive back grabbed a, a jersey or a or a wrist of a receiver as they were trying to make a break in their route or something, right? It, it just it's a tough time to make that call. Well, well, that's the key, right? Like it's even if you want to say like the rules should be applied the same way, whether it's the opening minute of the game, uh, the first game of the regular season, or or the last minute of the Super Bowl, but you weren't applying it consistently throughout the game. So you can't make that argument if you, if you weren't calling that earlier in the game, then all of a sudden it's a penalty at the end. Right. So like, it's like, I get the argument that, yeah, you know, it, it, it's hard not to call it because like maybe if the hold doesn't happen, uh, Mahomes able to just kind of loft it in there for, for um, it was, uh, it was Juju. Right. And, and yeah. so yeah. like, maybe like maybe he, that, that does change the play. It was there. Like, you know, it happened. He admitted it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to watch. Like, but, but you know, this is like it, the other kind of shoe to me, like is, is also like, this is, kind of you know what we're asking for a little bit when we when we want the consistency but again like the the consistency wasn't there throughout the game so it like that that doesn't even hold a lot of weight at the end of the day it's just it didn't line up with anything else happening in that game yeah and even if you even if it was like more egregious like like even if he did just fucking bury him like it's still a shitty way to end the game yeah whether or not whether we can all agree that that was the right call and and they should have called it it's still a penalty to decide an all-time great game so like that still sucks same thing even with the the shove out of bounds in the afc championship game it's just a shitty you you want the game decided by a play that happens not not a penalty yeah I, i think one of my other takeaways from it was like Eagles look like they belonged, man. Like, yeah, hundred percent. They're gonna they're gonna be scary for a while too. I know there's some, like, they're gonna. I think Hargrave or Hargrove, whatever. I can't remember his name, but their defensive tackle is a free agent. Like, they're gonna lose some key pieces, but they're gonna be right back next year for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, you go back to preseason, and I think you know a lot of people expected the Eagles to take a, a pretty sizable step forward this year, but. You know, I think even with that, they exceeded a, a lot of expectations this year, namely Jalen Hurts and what he was able to do. And, and I, I think he really, you know, showed something in that Super Bowl game. I, oh, I think man. He, he, he made some it, throws. He made some throws, and what he's able to do with his legs, like, <laughs> what do you do against that guy in? you know third and two or fourth and one, and they they treat third down like it's second down because they like. They, they get two plays, yeah. They, yeah, they got two plays, man. Like they're hardly ever, ever going to punt on fourth and short. Like, and those, those, like those sneaks were they were gaining oh, like four man. yards. Dude. They were just, I was like, yeah, just run like, that every every play. Like <laughs> they're like four and a four, four or five yard plays. Like yeah. it was wild. How do you stop that? Yeah, you don't clearly. But that's the funny <laughs> yeah. thing is right is that like like I'm you know we're talking about like the, per- the perfect first and ten the, the perfect quarterback <laughs> sneaks. You know the incredible record on fourth down. Uh, you know like some of those passes that hurts made to. Um, Goddard were fucking unbelievable. Oh, man. Just and, and like I have to remind yeah. myself that they lost. <laughs> yeah. Like everything else about that game, it's like, yeah, the, the Eagles were so good. And it's just, it's Mahomes, man. Mahomes well, is fucking unbelievable. If you were to look like just at the stat lines, you know, with, with the score removed, like you look, yeah. you look at 300 the, yards in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and like, you, if you would have told anyone that Patrick Mahomes was going to throw for what, like, I don't know what he, 180, he yeah, like 180 something. Yeah. I don't think there's too many people 
that follow the sport of football who would have thought that the Kansas City Chiefs would have a chance to win that game without Patrick Mahomes throwing for at least 250 yards. So the the way that that all unfolded, yeah, again, all-time classic, just a, a shitty way for it to end. I think what was surprising maybe in that, and maybe not surprising if you watched the latter half of the season, but that Pacheco is pretty damn good, man. Oh, man, he runs so hard. And, like, having that now to, to like, balance out your attack. Like, I know Andy Reid's yeah. always going to throw the ball. Like, I know that's his offense. But if they get an incorporated they, – they, if all of a sudden they have a run game, like, that's, that's scary. That guy is just, like – a ball of energy like even after yeah, the play he's great, he, 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 like he's hopping up he wants to get back to the huddle give me the ball again like fun guy to watch yeah, run the ball he fights for every yard yeah. all right well uh like we were saying it's a, a real real easy stretch here for the Leafs so hopefully next time we talk to you it'll be a few few points banked yeah and maybe uh some further maybe news player. on the on the trade front well, maybe it'll be an emergency pod next time. <laughs>